Here we are again, Chancy. Good morning, Brad. How are you doing, sir? Golly, but I'm a little older than the last time we got together to talk about something. It's been a while, hadn't it? My yeah. goodness gracious. I, we got to apologize for that. Yes. But, but, boy, spring has sprung. Yes, and spring, as y'all know, is the busiest time of year for, for the both of us. Oh, my I goodness. Mean, so, yeah. since we talked to you last, we've got we've got corn in the ground growing. Uh, we've got our uh, hay grazer in the ground growing. Man, with cotton is yeah. trying to grow if it could possibly get some rain around here. I've put in tons of dove plots, tons of deer plots, summer and spring food plots. and Chancey's been traveling all grass. over the country. Yes, yes, yes. Been a busy... Busy March and April and even in the end of May. But well, now my schedule, everything that I had on schedule as far as planting and getting that done for the spring, I've got that caught up. And so now I'm doing more herbicide type stuff. Well, and on the farm, it's been so dead gum dry. Yes. Usually we'd be rolling and blowing and going bailing hay right now. But man, alive, if you're, if you're anywhere close to Texas in general, I guess – as a state, you've seen more of the state than I've seen. Oh, it looks like it's just awful out there west of I-35. And in South Texas, it just looks like the moon. It's real spotty. It's kind of funny. as you. I mean, I drove from Dripping Springs all the way to Marshall, Texas last week and then back and forth. And it's uh, areas in the east look really good, but there's some dry spots too. You know, it's just that the rains have been so spotty. And so you really see it when you drive across the landscape. But that's for central Texas. But you get out west and south, it's it's pretty serious out there it really is um, a lot of my stuff that i've planted you know it, it needs to be rain bad you know my food plots they're just look pretty skimpy right now just because they haven't got the rain yes and the crops in our area out there we've since we've planted our corn out there since the corn has come up we've gotten a total of four tenths of rain and that was you know early march when we planted that stuff and it was too wet back then to get in there and plant it you know so we're still surviving off of some ground moisture I don't know how long it could hold out for, though. We've got 100-degree weather all this week. Yeah. And corn pollination is dinged pretty bad when the temperatures get that hot. And it's a year that we didn't need anything bad to happen with the input costs like they are, with the markets as high as they are, with the world and short of food supply as it is. And here we are. Yeah, wheat. I mean, the whole situation with wheat is mind-blowing right now, what's going on. We're probably looking at, on the average, 35 bushel wheat. 30 bushel wheat in this area this year. It's not going to be no bumper crop, but we'll be, we'll be blessed to make what we make this year. going to add to the situation we're even worse. It know? is. Mm-hmm. It is. And and so, you know, it's it's uh, uh, it, it's looking pretty rough around central Texas right now and most parts of Texas, I guess, too, especially the high temperatures and dry weather combined is a yeah. equals disaster, I guess you'd say. Yes. And like so, might be to, a year for the crop insurance. Sure. And just to add to that, you know, like uh, since the last time we talked, I think, you know, I mean, I spent the last two weeks of March down in South Texas, just north of Tilden in between Tilden and Pleasant. And I was down there for two weeks straight. And we were doing cactus surveys, doing the black lace cactus, which I've told you about the endangered species. And I mean, most of the time they were always blooming that time of year. You know, we're doing the surveys when they're blooming. Even the cactus are shriveled. I mean, it's just, it is dry 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 was that the cactus you sent me with the real pretty little pink flower yeah yeah that was that is a beautiful little flower yeah yeah what showed all the beetles and stuff yes. that was in there remember i did that one over pollination biology i was talking about cactuses i'll have to put for, that on our facebook page that it, that that's a really pretty little, little yeah cactus but that was, flower. it was just so dry down there you know even the cactus aren't blooming and i mean a lot of the brush hadn't even popped is you know hadn't haven't even bloomed yet so across the state it's, it's really bad in places they have i think they're 
they're talking possibly in a, maybe two weeks from now, some kind of tropical storm's got a pretty good shot at coming to our area. Hurricanes equal disaster for the coastline, but golly. They bring us rain if they hit around Houston. Yes, it know, does. They, yes, in it Central does. Texas, but those guys in South Texas, they need it actually worse than we do. It's they, even worse down there. Yeah, and you know, I mean, they're they're used to being dry. I mean, that's just kind of a dry climate, but uh, it it looks bad down there. And, and, and in the hill country, too. You know, west of I-35, it's... And across the state, you know, I mean, we've actually, in Milam County, as dry as we are, we look, we look a lot better than, than a lot of the places I've driven to and driven through. Yes, know, and I, I see you now wearing, like, a very high wildfire yes. uh, danger situation. Low like, humidity, high winds, yeah. Yes, and last year was such a good year. There's a lot of underbrush and different things. Yes, yeah, lots and, of growth. And, and uh, speaking of underbrush. Yes, and brush, yeah, the, man, the growth. We're gonna... So that's what we got together to talk about today is yeah. uh, is brush control methods and, and ways to control that because there's a lot of wasted resources if you're talking in a pasture situation or a wildlife situation where too much brush is a bad thing. Yes, it can be detrimental from a wildlife cover standpoint, from a water filter, filter, infiltration and water table standpoint. So brush management is something we need to be thinking about all the time and i just want to say it right now because it is this critical brush management it is a process it is not a project it is not something that well can it's be native taken. i mean yeah like like a lot of these brush species are native to this sure, country and sure. so they're well adapted they're very well adapted and so it's not something that we can start today and abandon tomorrow it's a process on our property or on our ranch or whatever that you know you just need to have it in there that you're going to probably be doing some form of brush control or brush management as long as you own that property you know, and uh, it's just something to be thinking about. So one of the, I mean, a little bit to start can be, and not follow it up with a treatment later, can be just as detrimental or worse than not doing anything at all, is when I mean it's a process, not a project. So, and it's, it appears that, that like with the, with the overgrazing going on, the places are getting smaller, that type of thing, uh, that you know, it's one of the worst things you could do for brush is is you know overgraze something, take the grass, take competition yeah. out. You you'll have all kinds of little bad things coming up at that point. So, That's kind of how we got in the situation we're in. A lot of these places. Yes, huh? I mean, historically, most of our brush. Now, I guess we're talking when we just say you know when we're talking brush here in Central Texas or in Texas. You know, a lot of people, it's mesquite and yoke pond that we're talking about. Both of these are native to our area. Uh, but would you consider a cedar tree a brush? Yeah, you absolutely. I would. You know, it is a tree, but you look at it out west, you know, there's two different species of cedar trees in our area. You know, you got the ash juniper over there in the hill country, west of 35. You got the eastern red cedar over here. But yeah, I consider it a brush species. But it's the same thing. So the biology of these species affect their management methods. And I guess those are the three big ones that we're going to have in our area. But all of those were controlled historically by what we talked about the fundamental processes that shaped the you know, grassland ecosystem, fire, drought, um, oh, and grazing by large herbivores, you know, that helped. They were always here, but they were kept in sync, you know, by those three processes, fire being a big one. Yes, if you, if you like, read up on it a little bit, you'll find out that when the early settlers came, they described the mesquite trees and oh, stuff yeah. as being as being densely populated in certain areas and sparsely populated, like in a, they called it mesquite savannas, Yeah, I think. in South Texas, you know, mesquite in South Texas and even in the rolling plains and the high plains, you know, it's been there forever. You know, we've got two species of mesquite in Texas as well, but the majority of Texas only has the honey mesquite. That's what we're dealing with. And that's what they were describing. But they described it in 
big mesquite savannas, like big bull mature mesquites, which are beautiful, nice trees, and they grow grass underneath them, and they savannas, and then some of them were mesquite moths, is what these guys were describing, you know, as they went through, uh, mesquite moths, you know, that held abundance game, provided cover, but it wasn't thick, multi-stem, trunked, you know, obnoxious brush. They didn't have shredders yet. Like, well, yes, shredders. So, really, where brush started becoming a really big problem is in the 1800s, when we brought in here, and like I said, we... Grazing is absolutely necessary, but we we overgrazed most of Texas. We overgrazed too much of anything is a bad thing. Yes, too much, and so we overgrazed. We throw strung up barbed wire. We put animals in places and never let them out. And then not only that, we started getting mechanical. Started people having plows and having this and saws and everything, cutting things down. And you know, these brush species respond differently to these different practices based on the biology of that whichever one it is mesquite juniper or yopon and so that was the start of us getting a lot of the brush problems that we have today but then also you know too just lack of fire you know lack of fire coming through there periodically we mentioned the indians would set them but you know every spring and every fall and summer you know even in drought fires got started by you know would start and they would burn and it would burn to a hit a river or it burned well even it indians would start fires back then to, yeah. to like to make wild to make wildlife yeah. push them a certain direction they wanted to push them they would push them with fire sure and a fire will take out a what two to three year old mesquite yes it really will there's lots of studies that you know a fire rotation on you know a relative a level will take care. It's not going to take out your big ones, you know. And even if it does top kill them, more than likely they'll root sprout. But your, your two to three year olds, yeah, you can, you know, that's one form of management right there that we would talk, you know, a biological control of mesquite. And fire absolutely smokes cedar. I mean, fire takes it out because cedar don't root sprout. Now, this species, eastern red cedar and ash juniper. So when you look at the hill country now, it's just cedar breaks. That's a lot of it was overgrazing, but then lack of fire. Well, if you cut that cedar tree down and there's no green left on it, it will not come back. It's gone. And fire top kills mesquites and it does not come back. So fire, historically, you know, they say, well, the mesquite's so important for the golden cheek warbler. And that's true. You know, no doubt about it because the warbler, it's a component of their habitat. They use it to make nest material. Like I said, it's important. So it's a process. We need to learn to work together. But historically, a lot of that juniper was on the sides of mountains or in deep canyons and ravines and stuff places where fire didn't historically occur it wasn't out there on the prairie you know in thick cedar breaks because fire took care of it that's right you know, and, and the system wasn't overgrazed the grazing helped stimulate the grass you know and then the bison would move on so that whole system and we'll talk about that more here in a little bit okay. when we talk about control uh-huh. but maybe it's more importantly to start off by saying that 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 mesquites aren't all a bad thing we, no. Now, we're going to talk mostly about mesquites and yopon because yeah. that's what's big in our area and in, in our store here. It's where we get most of our people come in. What do you have that I can spray mm-hmm. on our mesquites? Or what's a good way that we can control the mesquites that we have? Yeah. Because uh, they're in the black dirt. They're in the sand. They're they're pretty much everywhere. Yes. All across the state. They sure and are. They're not all a bad thing, though. No, mesquites are great like, tree from I mean, a wildlife standpoint and from even a human standpoint. I mean, we heck, you can make cookies out of the name. And the, know, the honey? Seeds like like mesquites. Honey. Mesquite, mesquite honey, yopon honey, all and that. Everything eats the beans. You know, I mean, deer, um, they'll browse young, young, young stuff or cotyledon or very young one, you know, but I've never seen browsing pressure on mature mesquite. You know, I've just never, I haven't seen anything in it. But from a from the mast producing, the beans, everything eats them. Deer, rodents, rabbits, coyotes, coons, 
when when they're fruiting and they're putting beans or dropping everything's out there eating it's super high it's got pretty good high in protein it's got really it's the sugars you know it's super high in carbohydrates and a lot of sugars and that's why a lot it's of sweet. energy yeah that's why it's sweet you know you chew on a mature mesquite bean you know a lot of times they're sweet they take that's why they call it honey mesquite the one of a species it tastes just like honey is that yeah, i have honestly bean. never tried that and, and the, the, the trees are different like you chew on some of that one's not good but once you find like one mesquite tree that makes my mom had a mesquite tree in our backyard in Yerlton. And she planted as a little bit thing, and she, you know, it grew up into this beautiful. But that was the best. Uh, she had a recipe for making mesquite bean hungry or something, but probably jelly. Or no, she it was cookies. Like she, you could grind them up, make it like a little flour, and then you mesquite bean flour. Now that's interesting. And, it, and that that tree that she had, man, you chew on those things, and it. It was good. So Boy, I tell you the what, Native Americans used them extensively down. I mean, if it wouldn't been for mesquite trees down in South. Texas and in West Texas, Indians probably couldn't even survive down there. It was a big component. It was a huge deal. And and there's in native range. I mean, a mesquite occurs in every soil type and every habitat in South Texas. It is a component whether you're in the riparian area, whether you're in a Ramadero shrubland, whether you're in a mixed sandy loam, you know, black brush community. Mesquite is in every component. Um, and they have their place. They're good for the soil. Yeah, they fix nitrogen like a lot of legumes. And as long as they haven't been mechanically manipulated or tried to fight, they turn into a generally a single trunk pretty tree, like those big bull mesquites you see in some of them places in South Texas. That man, it's it's nice habitat. It's good habitat. You don't see much of it anymore, but really nice stuff. When, like you said before. There's no better shade tree to sit under than the shade of a mesquite tree. Oh yeah, the you, leaves are just built perfectly for like air movement. I mean, it does it doesn't suffocate the wind. I mean, it oh, moves yeah. through the tree. You'll see cows and stuff sitting under shade trees a lot. Yeah, if you out here, you got a post oak out there, a live oak tree, and you got a big mesquite that's about the same. You know, not that big, but a real big one. And on a hot day, those cows are under that mesquite tree more than likely because it just it the wind can blow up under it. it's cooler under it you know it just gets more airflow through it and um yeah they're nice they're they're the big ones are really nice yes and you know being a legume they 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 fix nitrogen in the soil so the soil is around the base of a of a and within the drip zone of a of a of a mesquite tree are going to be a lot richer than the soils on the outskirts of the mesquite tree simply for that reason and they're good for the ground you know they produce good nitrogen for the for the soil and and it's just just the fact of the matter that they cause flat tires. Sure. And then they, spread, think, they spread like wildfire. They sure do, especially once we start trying to control them. But if you think about it, we've all cut mesquites. Think about really big bull mesquites. They don't have much thorns. No, they really they don't. They don't. It's the little ones that have been burned or shredded uh-huh. or plowed Which through. Which are 97% probably. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, 98%. Like I said, those mesquites as a component of diverse habitat and good habitat, that's not what we're addressing. You know, don't even worry about there. Those, you know, the system's taking care of itself. It's the ones that are causing us problems that are taking over our pastures for whatever reason. That And so there's a place that out near me that years ago was a farmland field. It didn't have a tree or anything on it. They came around and they planted grass on it. I'm sure it was coastal at the time. I was too little to remember. Um, and then And then the fences got bad for whatever reason, so they took the cows off of it. Well, the mesquites had taken this place over. I mean, we're solid out there. I mean, there's deer out there. There's cattle out there. There's hogs out there. There's every. It's in a creek bottom. So it's all the kind of things you could think that would spread mesquite beans around. And so I guess due to possibly overgrazing or something, again, I was too little to remember. These mesquites just got dense. I mean, 
not so dense that you couldn't walk through it comfortably, but they're they're pretty 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 well scattered through this pasture, and since they took the cows off, the mesquites are still there that were there, but now there's no more new new growth coming up. You know, it it if if you're if you're not overgrazing and you've got good grass cover, yes, the the new growth will take care of itself. And, you know, you think about that all the time. You're like, golly, if I leave one mesquite tree on my place, I'm going to have 10 million of these things in, you know, in five years from yeah, now. Not, not the truth. Mm-mm. You know, uh, and is what's surprising is how few of the beans actually survive. You know, with all, like, whenever those mesquite beans hit the ground, there's lots of things that feed on those, mm-hmm. like, that, that destroy them, basically. Yeah, when they hit the ground, uh, insects and funguses and, like, um, oh, all kinds of little small microbes and stuff start attacking them instantly because that's you know and a lot a of them never get covered with dirt or anything in no. order for them to come up. So no, they fall right there, and I mean they the, the nature takes care of that it, problem. It, right if, there. if you look at a mesquite tree out in your pasture, there's not 700 of them coming up around that mesquite tree. No, that big one. Uh-huh. Like you know, like like you would think where like eight, like acorns off of an oak mm-hmm. tree or something, you'll see those things sprouting like quite a bit around there, but you don't see no. like a whole lot of of mesquites and stuff coming up you know around that one tree for whatever reason no the dispersal i mean the the main it just doesn't happen like once those hit the ground insects and microbes and all kinds funguses attack them the dispersal dispersal mechanism for that mosquito is it's such a good fruit that something eats it and the seeds really do well with being scarified through the digestive tract of a mammal you know yeah, if you go walk through a cattle pasture and you have mesquites and you find a, a good old cow patty out there, yeah. you'll see little mesquites growing up. Part- they, they'll be growing real nice and yeah. that little, until. But I also read somewhere one time that where though typically those little mesquites don't survive because they, that manure dries out so quickly. That, it does. It just depends on the season and what year. Yeah, that, that specific year. I've also saw you know people study like you know the even a PhD program. You know they. Or, uh, say a master's, which is most of these studies are based on masters. You're you, well, you've got a year of schoolwork and a year of uh, a year of field work. You got one year of field work, and that's that little snapshot, you know. And you're gonna try to base on that when look, just look at the difference between last year and this year. If you were doing oh, field it's work. polar opposites. So, like some studies say that, but I've also read some studies that say you know that having them in the manure, forty percent of them will successful oh that high yeah yeah on the same study you know like you can read these papers and you know so and so you know found this when he studied in the high plains or so and so found that well now um, mesquites have a tap root so granted yes. that root grows in a hurry and it's very important too so that that's kind of the biology of the species of the mesquite a lot of times um what we consider seedlings on a mesquite may be a two or three year old tree you know, because when, it's spinning that mesquite bean. It's spinning the the bean itself, not the whole long, but the seed inside the bean. It's putting a lot of its energy into developing a root system first, kind of like an oak tree. And you know, very similar to oaks. Uh, Blackland Research Center is a is one of the the extension uh, research centers in Temp- Temple, Texas, close to us over here. And I worked a couple summers over there when I was in college uh, for some researchers over there. And I wasn't involved in the study, but. There was a researcher there studying mesquites, and he took some PVC PVC pipes, mm-hmm. and he planted those mesquite beans, and he did like a like he let them grow for you know different amounts of times, and he had that PVC pipe split where he could take the PVC part pipe apart, and look at how deep the roots had grown on those mesquites, uh-huh. and you know being eighteen. 
19 years old and now I'm 42 years old, I still remember how in awe I was at how far down those mesquite roots had grown as compared to how much growth was on top of the it ground. It is unreal, isn't it? I mean, it is unreal how long That's of a their route. strategy. They're, they're made to survive at some I mean, look where a lot of them's at, West Texas and South Texas. Now, our Central Texas mesquites, they have some fibrous roots out there. They can have both. They'll have a tap root, and then they also have some runner roots. They'll go, you know, 50 feet from the tree. They mm-hmm. do have both. They, they have, they're well, well-rooted. well mm-hmm. No yeah. doubt, they're well-rooted. And so, but you can have too many of them. And, sure. And you, you're never going to eradicate the no. problem, and you really wouldn't want to. No. But, but, the, uh, but, but there is ways that you can manage the one that you have to where, to where you – you uh, uh where you can help to control what you have and keep it at an economic threshold i guess would be yeah. the best word that and you one of the best there. ways to do that is biological control proper grazing and fire you know you do proper grazing and you don't overgraze your property and you don't to where it's like a bunch of bare ground and you know you rest pastures you know you move your cattle from soon so they're never continuous year-long grazing or if there is your stocking rates right that's number one that will help help control a mesquite big time right there just having good grass out there and then number two you can follow it with a burning regime you know not this year not this year every every but but burning you could do any time of the year too absolutely it's not one of those things that like like chemical control you got to hit the plant just at the right time you got a window there where you got to hit it at yes sir but but when you go to talking about like burning of mesquites and stuff, again, it's only gonna work on like a two to three year old yeah. mesquite. But even on under. even on your multi stemmed ones though, if you don't, or even your bigger mesquite, if they don't top kill it, you know, like you do a cool fire, you can raise the canopy. Oh okay. And you can raise the canopy over through through burning it, you know. And then you get less a, spreading that way. Less spreading, raise the canopy, and get more sunlight in there. Gets so so you're gonna try to create a mesquite savanna, you know, kind of what's called. And I want to say too, back to just a little bit of biology. Mesquite is a pioneer species, y'all. And I mean, I hadn't really well, like it go into new areas and invade after something's been ripped or something. And I've got a buddy that has a place in Brady. He's got black cap berries on it. It's got awesome quail habitat. The the, the structure of the plant community on his property is uh laid out perfect for quail and it wasn't anything that they did it was just but it took process of probably i'd say looking at aerial imagery 50 60 70 years but he's got these mosaics out there in these brush moths that are very diverse all kinds of different brush species in there and in the very middle of that moth is an old dead mesquite that's still the stump there so that place was 40 50 years ago a scattered mesquite savanna, which has now turned into a very beautiful mosaic of good brush that's perfect for quail, perfect for turkeys, you know, perfect for black cat vireos. Or was there management that went into that? Not or so it just much management. It just naturally wasn't over. It just naturally happened. You know, it just that's kind of the natural system it took place. So you know, Mother Nature will fix itself, but it's not going to happen in one person, one generation in our lifetime. You know? Right. If if, if we're going to want to see some results then we're going to need to need to step in and try to help it out. So so mesquite has serves its purpose, no doubt about it. Um, but like I said, our problem is when it gets too much. And I'm sorry I went off topic there and I got off sidetracked, Brad. So where were we going? So we, yeah. what we were talking about was how natural, like yes. naturally uh, controlling mesquites okay, is the best yes. way with, you know, with not grazing too much, mm-hmm. with, uh, with fires another way. Um, and these are, these are ways that, 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 you know, are good ways to, con- to control it. Not always feasible. Yes. But like this year, it's hard to not overgraze a place. Very hard. Because, Absolutely. I mean, if you got one cow running, I mean, usually mm-hmm. we're running a cow to every every 
two to four, two to three to four acres here in Central Texas. Yeah, on especially improved grasses. And on improved yeah. grasses, mm-hmm. and so uh, you take this year for instance, it hasn't rained in probably like in our and where I'm at, it hasn't rained in about eight weeks out there, and so one cow to to 20 acres is yeah. almost too much right now. So sure. so the overgrazing part of that is out the window because nat- nature's grazing it down for us because there's nothing growing. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was cool for a while, and we went from cool to hot. You know, it's now the daytime temperature. We're going to bump 100 degrees all week. Sure. And so, so you know, it, this is a year that mesquites will probably do well. Yes, I They're, would say they that. Have, they have what they need to survive in the drought they, and the heat. And they don't need near as much moisture to make a good bean crop. They're out know? there laughing at our newly developed coastal right now going, <laughs> ha, yeah. yeah, we've seen this before. Yes. Yeah, we know how to handle this kind of weather. Uh-huh. And it's it, it it's going to be a year for them because they're gathering up moisture from deep down, and, and, and there will be a, probably a pretty good bean crop, I imagine. Probably so. And everything's going to eat it because there's nothing really else around for it. Yeah, your livestock are really going to go after it, too. They will, yeah. yes, mm-hmm. yes. And they're going to scatter them around and and so so this is going to be a year for the mesquite i'd say um as far as yopon goes being as though i'm in the black dirt out there it's not near as the big of the problem what it is out in the sandy areas but fire is a good way to control that too fire is that's what did it historically but the problem is now it's so thick it's so thick that if you got a fire it would go yeah it burned you out of canopy fire you burn the whole forest down and even then uh, like in order to burn through it, it's got to be dry, and then it's a danger. In order, and then when it's safe to burn, there's not a fuel source in there to carry it through there. So you can try to control if it's not solid yopon. Leaf litter fires help. I do leaf litter fires on my. Place. Well, you sent me that little picture of your uh, progression that you have going, where you did that leaf litter fire yeah. back in the early spring or late winter, maybe it yeah, was. Yeah, early spring. Yeah, where before the green up. So and and it's just a safe little fire that creeps through there, but it will smoke. I mean, literally smoke two, three foot tall yopons. That and are it did. Up on, yeah, it did. Yeah. Now it didn't kill them. They're going to roost out, but it sets them back, you know, and lets more light get in there, and that light can get in there. And I'm not going to say, in those areas, y'all, it might take five, three fires to make a fire. So uh, this was the third year I burned that same area, and it, it did better this year than it ever has before. So, you know, that will help too, but so much of our problem is in those areas, that didn't happen, or they got overgrazed. And now that yopon is eight, nine, ten feet tall, and it is solid. There's no grass. You've got post oaks and hickories, and then also cedars in there. Fire will take out your cedars too. I've got pictures of a two foot tall cedar that's dead from that little leaf. From that leaf fire you started this year. Leaf litter fire, yeah, and it's very safe. Creeps through there, so that's an option, y'all. That I and that a fire puts good things back into the ground. Yeah, for and potash. mm Mhm. Safe too. Safe and and if you do those leaf litter fires in the winter, you know, absolutely safe. Doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, or you can stop it very fast. Is what I'm saying. That's an option for yopon there. But once, like he said. You know, we always think of fire hazard being out west in Austin, you know, in this ash juniper, which it is. I mean, I tell you, if I lived in places in West Austin this year, every time it got hot in summer and the wind blew over 20 miles an hour, boy, I'd be puckered up because there's some areas and some homes out there that I was like, man, one of these days it's going to it's gonna be something else. But we've got the same problem over here in Central Texas East, you know, with Yopon. That Yopon, when it gets hot and dry, it, That's some good kindling. Yes, it'll go up too. Mm-hmm. It sure will. So, managing that yopon is important from you know a wildlife standpoint, and mesquite wildlife standpoint, and safety standpoint as far as fire hazards. Sure. So, from juniper and yopon, two big ones for fire. And so, you know, with the, with the biological control of it, I guess not overgrazing. 
you know, yes. is, is one of your main and things. Graze, proper grazing, stocking rate's the main thing. You know, if people try to follow the stocking rate for the productivity of their land and manipulate it and, and letting it rest a little bit, that will really help. You know? And then you got fire. That's about it, though. Yeah, from a biological standpoint, you know, those are the big ones to really kind of think about controlling brush, you know. Now, you get a bad enough drought. Mother Nature will take care of brush, too, if it's bad enough. That's exactly. It smokes everything. That's true. There's always a remnant left, and that happens. It does happen sometimes. It very much does. And Mm -hmm. so that brings us, I guess, to the the second method that you had to control it, which would be mechanical means. Yeah, mechanical. Now, this, I don't know if it was an early way of thought, but people maybe at one point thought that maybe shredding was a way to get rid of a mesquite. Yeah, let's just say that now. You cannot shred mesquite out. Yes, I'm paying with it big time. Lots of property owners are paying for it, and just say it. You can't kill mesquite by shredding. You can't shred it out. But boy, can you make it worse. Yes, yes. And that has a lot to do with the biology of species that we were talking about, Brad. Um, Like, uh, so mesquite, once it gets its top messed with, you know, and it doesn't, because you're not going to kill it, you know, because it's got that root system. It usually re-sprouts. So at some point, that when it's a young little plant, the growing point of a mesquite is a, is is growing at the top of the plant. Yeah, like you got your little dicot, you got the you know the, the two little leaves, leaves, the yes. little leaves. Yeah, and that's its growing point. But at some point in time, this growing point moves downwards towards the soil. And it gets to where it's like within an inch of the top of the soil, and, and that's where that thing's growing from at this point. Yes. And so if you if you don't shred it off below a growing point, which is pretty much impossible. Yeah, you got to be. You're yeah. going to get a bush. Yes. Yes. Multi trunk with a really big root system, and they create monsters. And so that's yes. a problem for chemical control too, because now you've got a lot more underground growth than you have above ground growth, and chemical by to control something chemically. You've got to have a lot of above ground growth Surface area. to to absorb chemical to get it down to the to the root system because otherwise you're just you're just spinning your wheels because you've got so much so much root down there gathering up so much energy and 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 so much so many nutrients I guess I should have said and water and stuff that that it takes a lot to get rid of those roots yeah so and so you shred it off mm-hmm. you've gotten rid of all the foliage and stuff and boy will it shoot a little bush out yeah it comes back and nine times out of ten it's uh you know, multi-trunk. You're not dealing with a single critter anymore. You know, a single stem. You've got multiple stems. And every time you do that, you, it gets worse and worse. Worse and worse. And I've got, I have a property right now that I'm working on that uh, the previous landowner, he managed his mesquites by shredding them. And it's created a monster, you know. And those are problem childs. They really are. And that's where I say it is a process, not a project. You know, there's very few methods that you're going to go in there and just just solve that problem, you know, with one year or during one growing season once you create those little hard-to-kill ones, you know. Sure. Without and doing some serious mechanical work. Yeah, some serious mechanical. And so, you know, it's hard to get rid of those things yeah. uh, mechanically, I guess you would say. The age-old method is to, if it's a big enough area, is of the root plow, bulldozer and root plow. Yeah. And so for wildlife, that's not exactly the best thing that you could do. No, the root plow, we learned from years of, you know, in South Texas, we learned the hard way about root plowing. We destroyed lots and lots of habitat in in, in South Texas, thinking that the system would bring it back with diversity, like the diversity. Like you get rid of that, natural stuff will take its place. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, it just... Well, it is natural stuff taking its place, but it's the wrong natural stuff. And it may have been, but it's not going to happen in our lifetime. You know, like I said, the system will fix itself eventually, but it may take 300 years. You know, so we... It would probably fix itself even if we didn't root plow. Yeah, even if... Yeah. yeah, Yeah. um, It would eventually take care of itself. In South Texas, we've done root plowing, and you know, 
it has a place if you wanted to put it back right into pasture, you know, or, or make pasture out of it. But if you were to root plow something and just think it would come back and have this beautiful diversity of everything, it's just not the case. It came back in pear and mesquite, you know, very little diversity and just was not good habitat. And then you're stuck with that. And then bird. you really planted all the mesquite beans and all. You really, mm-hmm. you know, covered all that stuff with dirt, spread the cactus around. Yeah, the response from a wildlife standpoint just wasn't what we were wanting to see. Best thing, if you've got good, diverse, good mosaic and stuff, you know, manage your numbers, the stocking rate, and just let it maintain, let it do its thing. Because sometimes you can do more good thinking, you know, it's just our naive and green, you know, learning, you know, as you go. You think you're doing good. And you might, it, lo- it looks great the first year you did it. First three years, like, oh, man patting yourself on the back man i did good but five years down the road 10 years down the road uh-oh you know you got it you got the you same got, problem if not worse yeah yeah so just something to think about and the, so, and the ground is a little rough yes unless yeah. you really but that, so i don't you know more about this because you spent way more time in south texas than i have but what is the what is that that big chopper deal thing? a roller pull? chopper the roller chopper yeah roller chopper that's i've seen that used um a lot of times people would do it, use it on mesquites, but that's a nightmare. Don't do it, you know. I mean, you're just going to create the problem again because it's not going to kill it. But a lot of people will use it on, like, areas of black brush, you know, where the brush is starting to get. And it goes in there and just kind of, it'll knock it back down and put it more in a deer's reach, make you can see a little bit better. You know, it just kind of kind of sets back succession, basically, is what it does, you know. It stunts it a little bit. Yeah, sets it back. You know, say you've got some areas where black brush is getting really, really tall, you know, and you want to kind of put it back down there and get some new growth on the ground level of deer. But, uh, yeah, you don't want to roller chop skeet at all, you know. Um, it's just going to, you know, continue to add to your problem. He's going to have to kill it somehow or get the root out somehow. I guess if you uh, if you think about it, since the since the invention of a skid steer, yes. uh, mechanical... Um, means of control have really changed i mean yeah. we went from only having a bulldozer mm-hmm. to now having something that's that's more economical to purchase uh, uh you know several people have those and they're making all these attachments for them now all that you can do all stuff. this different stuff with and so i guess chance you know since the invention of the skid steer and not necessarily invention but but more people having them and 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 more attachments being made for them, and it's becoming a pretty competitive market for this. There's different ways that you can that that these things are beneficial. So, for instance, we leased this place several years ago, and it had been farmed years ago. And then they decided to just run cattle on these fields, and so we decided to put them back into production. And they had like densely, you know, scattered sure. mesquites out there. And so a cousin of mine, his name is Keaton Denial. He's got a a business where he he's got one of those tree pullers on the front of that skid steer, uh-huh. and he went out there and made easy work out of those mesquites. Oh yeah, especially if the conditions are right. Oh yeah, man, he went. Out, I pull mean, pull them out and get I, the whole root. I'd say it was probably you know fifty acres back there. Or so, and and he went back there, pulled them up by the root. Nothing came back out. Yes. It had taken me two years of chemicals in order Pro- to do that. Yes, it would have. And it had taken me a lot of walking with a sprayer to go out there and spray them. Mm-hmm. And and he went out there, you know, pulled them up put them on a pile and we burned them and it was nothing to it that yeah, way now, that that's good especially for the ones like we say that have been uh manipulated they've been top killing path because bradley's right if if the mesquites have been shredded or they're multi-stemmed and trunked you know they're hard to kill with chemical you, you know you may not you, you may not or very likely you're not going to get a hundred percent kill that first year and you might have to do repeated treatments on it and you know the window's small so you've basically got one year and then you know even if it tops kicks it back top kills it the chemical does 
you don't know till the next year if you killed it when it starts to grow again. That's and then exactly you gotta right. Go again, so that's why Bradley's talking about the two years. You know, even with chemicals, you know. I mean, you, you know, it can be that way. And getting to, I don't, I don't think chemical resistance resistance has happened yet with the with the mesquites that I, I mean, I could have to to a level that we just don't know about yeah, yet. You know, but you know, you got like your Johnson grass that we discussed before, sure. where where it's almost becoming resistant to Roundup. Yeah, but it's still not resistant to a chisel plow. You <laughs> no. know, I mean, you, yeah. you you pull a chisel plow over there a couple of times, and Nate, Mother Nature just hasn't figured out a way yet to beat that one. Sure, it's getting close, probably. <laughs> yeah, uh, but but same thing with these mesquites. Go, you know, you go out there with one of those. Hire somebody to go out there with. I wouldn't recommend buying one because shoot, what does a skid steer nowadays run you? I don't know. I'd say probably say forty, uh, fifty thousand dollars. It takes one with some horses yeah, to do that. I mean, seventy plus one. horsepower probably. I think so. With you know, with enough, with enough uh, 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 pulling power in order to pull something out like that. But I mean, man, like he come out there, he pulled all these mesquites up, piled them up, and the problem was done with. Yeah. It was no longer an issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, it 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 worked out really well. So so when the numbers are right, you know that that mesquite pulling is it works pretty good. And so another method besides this pulling would be like grubbing mesquite. Yeah, and they have an attachment for that too, as well. You know, depending on. The <laughs> I think system. there's an attachment for just about everything. There now. really is. We man. we own this feed store, you know, and they make a sweeper that goes on the front of a skid steer. Yeah. Now. Hey, you know, I'm telling you, I went and price checked one the other day. Now they make a no-till drill from Truax that oh, goes on the front of a skid steer. I'm like, oh, i got to have one. You ain't going to believe this, but I think there's one sitting on the lot over here at the John Deere dealership in town. There's a little no-till. It's a small no-till drill. It's probably about as is wide a as a skid steer. Yeah. I don't know what brand it is, but but I was like, well, who would want such a small no-till drill with no wheels on it? I mean, you know, like no no kind of. Uh-huh. But any money, that's what that thing is. Well, I know that Truax is making, which is the drill I run. And when I saw that, that now they have one. I don't have a skid steer, but I've got, you know, two boys that do. I was like, man, you know. This thing is so cool. I mean, man, they have easy any to kind move of around. Yes. Well, it's perfect for working around trees and in tight spots or on sides of hills where I can't get my tractor or whatever. I mean, it's got its place for sure. Now, you ain't going to be doing big places with it, but... It, so to, to, to our point, y'all, they make an attachment for just about everything you can imagine for skid steers these days. And sure they do. And, and like Chancey said, they make a little grubbing attachment. Yeah, and they can grub those mesquites out of there, you know. And I think depending on your soil conditions and also because uh, it's hard to pull those mesquites when it gets really, really dry. But, you know, they but I, and and it's I mean, hard it, to grub them too. But If you grub them, you don't necessarily have – the growing point is – pretty close to the ground yes i think if you could break that off you know relatively you'll close mm-hmm. you'll, you know you'll, you'll kill that plant what's yes. there and i don't think it'll come back i yes i agree and i've seen places has been grubbed as long as they you know didn't just like you said shred or get it from the top they get the growing point underneath the ground your problem solved i guess the if you're looking at a issue of like been a grubbing is maybe leaves a hole but then they have that little attachment on that grub or not attachment where they just cover it back up you know all in one kind of motion so it's it's you know depending on what method or your ground or source you know soils is which you go for which one better suits you i guess mm-hmm. you know that's another method of control of that and these are you wouldn't want to attack a a 200 acre place that's just covered solid with mesquites with one of these grubbers no yeah especially the size of your mesquites I mean, so you need to address you know how you're gonna need how, tracks on your skid steer because i mean you know flats ain't cheap to fix anymore no. tires aren't cheap to buy i mean it's it and you're gonna have to have like we said a pretty one with some pretty good horses in order to 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 do that kind of work 
but but again there's 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 several people probably in your area who hire out to do that now it's becoming quite popular in texas for mm-hmm. sure you know you see a lot of people doing it and and again keaton denio he's here in the cameron area he's a cousin of mine and he uh he did that work for us and did an excellent job of pulling those mesquites up and and doing that work that'll work on yopon yeah you could grub them out absolutely yeah, you could grub a yopon mm-hmm. you could grub a mesquite yeah so our, i guess our next thing that we're going to talk about here is, is going to be mulching mulching yeah, yeah mulching is another control method and that's probably going to be more of a control method for your. For, I agree. For your I agree. So, like, you could technically mulch mesquite, but you're not gonna. You just, you didn't kill the growing part below the soil, so you basically just it's less like shredding it. You you got rid of what you're looking at for that year, but then you're gonna have to either get it by the root or spray it repeatedly. And when you mulch a mesquite, you're not killing it, you know, because you're right on top of the ground. So mulching is what around here in Central Texas. And even for for ash juniper and in um, eastern red cedar and yopon, a lot of people are doing mulching now. Um, and it kills cedars. You take the top out of cedar, you're done. You know, mulching just like fire. But with yopon, you're not going to kill the yopon with a mulcher. But what you do is, from a wildlife standpoint, where we said those areas become super thick with yopon, and they're just not much use. It's not good used in toad habitat. If you've got used in toads, it's not good wildlife diversity because the sun can't reach the, the the ground. You don't have the grass growing. It should have been a post oak oak savanna, but now it is a thicket eye. So what people will do is go in there and mulch those areas, and that lets uh, sunlight reach the ground. Sometimes you've got a seed bank there. You'd be surprised what comes up naturally if the soil can get warm enough to germinate seed banks. So mulching is very important in those situations, makes it look better, and then it gives you a result where you can come in and uh, follow it up with a, like an IPT, an individual plant treatment method for spraying it, specific, depending on how big the property is. And people will come in there and hit it with an herbicide the next year, the Yopon. Because Yopon is easier to kill with chemical than mosquitoes. So I will just say that, in, in my opinion, it, especially if it's been ma- manipulated. Mostly can, because of a, a root system. The root system, it, it just doesn't have... It's not a tap-rooted no, it, plant. The, the, it's more fibrous, shallower to the ground. Uh, it, it just You don't have the nightmare of the root system like you do with mesquite. So the, the control methods are a little bit different on them. Chancey, I'm going to bring in a, a good friend of mine, Colton Shuffield, and he's going to tell us a little bit more about this mulching method because he's really got it down to an art I, I follow a lot of the work that he does really, yeah and i mean it, it it's really starting to take the world over around here especially the way you know with people moving in and buying these smaller lots yeah uh, needing to clear areas and it's for, economical yes it is and it, it also works good like we said from a wildlife habitat how you're creating good habitat by opening up the canopy and letting sunlight hit but it also helps with what we talked about earlier fire danger you know yes oh boy and that's very important now yes and especially if you're going to be in a subdivision of like a bunch of houses and stuff like that you can't burn there anymore you can't do things like that yeah and so this mulching has really found its place in the universe and uh and so we have colton here with us on the phone colton you with us bud yes sir hey Hey. colton how are you sir i'm doing good how are y'all man we're good buddy we're wishing it would rain a little bit but uh so we could maybe go home and and rest a little bit instead of doing all this work in the woods ain't it (laughs) I'm telling you, heck yeah! <laughs> but uh, hey, tell us a little bit, Colton, about what you do uh, with like with this uh, with this mulching equipment that you have. I don't know. We do a lot of trails, you know, for people. Uh, we don't have any brush piles or nothing like that, so we go in there. We're uh, clearing mainly yopon and and cedar, you know, kind of 
kind of the trash the trash trees i guess we're opening up the the big old oak trees and uh you know giving them a little more sunlight and hoping to allow them to get a little more water and stuff the cedars and yopons take a crazy amount of water from these big nice oak trees and stuff and uh what we're doing is sir and i've seen some of the places you've went into buddy and you're talking about densely densely wooded oh yeah man some of these yopons can be up to 10 inches i mean i know a lot of people see three four five inch yopons you know but these suckers get pretty pretty big and 30 foot tall and and all that good stuff but um it's something else colton is what you your equipment going in there mulching it you're not doing hardly any soil disturbance either are you? I mean, uh, there's very little soil disturbance because I know a lot of those big oak trees, they don't like their roots really messed with, especially post oaks. And you can take out that brush all around it. and not probably, have, probably especially in a dry year. Yeah, and not have any effect on, on the root system of, of, of oak, those oaks. So that's another good aspect of that mulching. Yeah, especially exactly. in a year yeah. like this year, Colton, you know, where you can't burn for sure. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, my, my machines, I think the, the PSI on my, the ground pressure PSI or whatever on my, my ASV is like 4.7, and then on my big steel track machine, you know, you think it'd be more, but I think it's like 3.6 or something. So I get a lot of questions about that from, you know, TPWD and and uh, that kind of stuff. And they, they're, you know, real impressed that these, the machines that I'm, I'm using and stuff got such a low ground pressure to, to help, you know, deter from, from disturbing the roots on these bigger oak trees and stuff. So people go in there and they kind of mark the trees they want to keep and save, and you take everything else out. Uh, for the most part, you know, it's so it's usually so dense. They and I kind of have an idea, you know, with what they want and stuff. I like keeping, you know, more trees and stuff. So I get in there. I know the bigger trees we're going to keep and stuff. I'll get rid of most of the cedars unless they tell me not to, and and uh, the yopon and stuff. And that's usually main, you know what it is, you know. And then you open it up and there's you got hundreds of oak trees in there that you really didn't know you had there in the first place it's just kind of a, it's a good deal yeah it makes for it makes for better wildlife habitat for sure absolutely i've been hog hunting in some of those yopon thickets oh yeah well that's another thing too those <laughs> yopon thickets are great cover for hogs you that's know? And, true and, and yeah. there's not much good deer food and not much it's just a monoculture of yopon and cedar it's just bad habitat and it's uh the mulching is man it's a good management method and you're not going to walk through that stuff and spray it no you know so i no. mean and 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 you know you, you you're not going to root plow it very easily either and and it's too thick to to use the 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 tree puller method so this this mulching has its place in the world for that and it, it like you said it leaves the ground even better and like on a year like this with limited rainfall that mulch is also good for the ground for storing what little moisture that we do have so uh you can cover quite a bit of ground with those machines depends you know i like it depending on what the customer wants uh you know i can make it look like a park and that's usually what i like to do uh with the with the small machine you know i'm looking at probably an acre acre and a, acre and a half a day just making it look real good you know if, if someone doesn't want it that you know nice bigger chunk stuff like that we can cover a couple couple acres my big machine we're doing two to three acres real nice a day and uh yeah it's the it, when, when you're looking at bigger bigger acres of land you know that big i always tell people the big machine is the way to go just as far as better for the client and stuff I'm sure you cover more ground more efficient that way yeah. oh it's so much more efficient yes sir yeah, we uh, uh, we've seen a lot of your work done, and man, it's beautiful. And you've even got a method for this for this uh, uh, yopon where you put on your grapple and stuff after you've mulched it the first time, and you can go in there and kind of rip the roots out of the ground a little bit. 
and go back in there and mulch it a second time, and that sure does help with yopon control. Oh, yeah, man. That's like on these smaller, you know, like half-acre, acre lots and stuff, it's nothing for us to go in there and, and root rake them things and mulch them again because uh, the, the roots on those yopons come up fairly easy, you know. And it, and it, they're kind of all connected, too. It's like five or six big yopons on one big root system, and uh, you get that sucker out, it, it, um, it just helps, you know, prevent them coming back. Colton, you got a way that people could contact you? Oh, yeah, yes. Uh, I, I usually go through my phone, you know, uh, send me a call or, or text or whatever at 254-482-0697. Okay, so, and, and Colton's located here in Central Texas with us around Cameron, but, I mean... We're not too far from Austin where all the cedar issues yes. are and, and lots and lots of, of, of people moving in and, and needing different things done. Y'all be sure and keep him in mind. Uh, of course, I got to know Colton years ago when I taught him in high school, and, and he was a heck of a, a football receiver, believe it or not. Yeah, I went to college <laughs> to do that. Yeah, he's a, he was a heck of an athlete. Now he's done just about gotten as old as I am. He's catching up with us pretty quick, Chancey. I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still see him. You're always 17 in your hometown. But, yeah. but uh, uh, no, I'm proud of him. He's growing up and doing a good job. But, but Colton, we appreciate you, bud. Oh, yeah, and I appreciate you all, too. You all done a lot for me and, and all that. So, thank you all. Hey, I hope you have a, a good weekend. What's left, bud? And we'll pray for rain. Yeah. All right. Good talking Same to you, here, Colton. man. Thank you all. See you, Colton. Yes, sir. Y'all, too. Bye-bye. So we appreciate that, Colton. So so I guess, you know, following that up, Chancey, yeah. it, it, they're going to come back a few of them are. The Yopon is. I mean, the, realistically, like I said, it's, it's how much time do you want? Because that's a time-consuming process to come back over there and really manicure. And on a place that's, you know, on an acre, two acres, or less than that, it's probably not a big deal. It's probably worth going on to it. But if you're dealing with larger acreages and he mulches it and just gets it nice and fine – it's not going to kill the yopon. The yopon is going to resprout. But the thing is, yopon's easier to kill than mesquite, in my opinion, definitely. And it's best to come in after it resprouts the next year, or you know, that year when it starts coming up, maybe a year later when it gets about a foot tall, go in there with and spray it. Spray it. Uh, the state Parks and Wildlife recommends this, you know, using spot sprayers. So you're talking about backpack sprayer and going in there individual plant treatment with a mixture of five well, because you're going to have a lot of little trees and stuff they're going to come up yes and you're going to you're going to open it up you're going to have oak you're going to have lots of stuff that you ain't going to want to just go broadcast yeah. control chemically out there and yeah so it's going to be pretty selective going there yopon's easy to identify very easy to identify going there with a mixture of about five percent remedy ultra and uh, about a quarter percent surfactant, non-ionized Mixed with diesel? Uh, no, just just with water. Oh, five yeah. percent. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, yep. okay. So, so roughly six ounces of of remedy per yeah. per gallon, I guess. Yeah. Uh huh. And a quarter per, and that individual spot treatment mm -hmm. you know, on those plants, and so that's been you know effective form, and, and I'm almost positive that's the the method that the state uses right there. That, when they do the follow-up treatment, you know, but for like you said, it's going to bring a lot of stuff up. When yes. you open that ground up, you'll be amazed at the. Yeah, there's that going come to up. be a uh, there's going to be a seed source there, y'all, and you'd be surprised depending on how long. You probably got a good native seed source. That stuff's just going to come back naturally. And you got this good mulch on top of it now too. Got this good mulch too. Yeah, that's know, to, there to, to hold moisture. To and and Chancy could go in there and no-till drill stuff in. Yes. Okay, so so once you get this done, if the mulch isn't too thick on the ground. 
you know, I mean, it's so thick that it would suffocate the new little seedlings that would be that you would plant. Chance you could take his no-till drill in there and, and drill and, into the mulch and drill whatever you would like to put in there. Sure, sure, but there's some things depending on the depth of the mulch and how thick it is. You know, sometimes no-till drill doesn't work. Like I said, if it gets too the mulch is too thick, the no-till just won't get get down enough to where I'm happy about it as far as seed to soil contact. You know, less than an inch and a half. But there's other methods, and we've done it with the state. Has gone in there and um, uh, broadcasted. The, number one, you don't know what seed source is there, what's going to come. So that's nice. So get your yopon killed chemically after you knocked it back, and you can reach it and manage it. Get it in there and get it chemically killed, and then you can go in there and broadcast. I've seen, believe it or not, I don't know the science, and I haven't seen any studies about it, but for some reason I've observed it firsthand. You can broadcast those areas, specifically where the mulch is thicker, and the seed does really well on those natives. I don't know if it rains in there and kind of melts down. Oh, in there it'll fall it, down in the cracks. And yeah, and you know, got the but, perfect cover, but not too it, deep. Yeah, and believe it or not, it seems to respond very well with going in there. Broad, specifically, if you can do it right before rain, you know, broadcast. Hey, services. there was an old farmer Alfred Roggio told me one time a neighbor of ours. Yeah, he said the I right rain Roggio. makes anybody a good planter. Amen to that. <laughs> Isn't that true? <laughs> yeah. Anybody's a good farmer. Yeah, you could put it. You could throw a seed out there on the on the concrete drive. Uh, <laughs> Concrete parking lot out there, Chancy, and the right rain will bring it up. Yes. So watch the weather on that on that method, but you can get good results. And so just so you're aware, if you go with that mulch method and that yopon, you know, be aware that you're going to need to follow it. Like we said, it's a process, not a project. You know, so you're going to need to do another follow up. You know, uh, afterwards. And that was a good point you bring up about the running the wild hogs out. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's a perfect place. I remember me and you being teenagers running through the woods chasing those hogs through well, those yopon thickets. They bed in them and they bay in them. Yeah, those yeah. thickets. Yeah, when when the yopons get that dense underneath those understories. It's really no good deer habitat anymore. It's no good Houston toad habitat. It's no good mosaic turkey. Turkeys can't run through there or walk. There's just no good habitat for other than a feral hog. Feral hogs go in there and create beds. They're safe in there. Nobody messes with them because it's so thick. You know, and then they can eat all the acorns and stuff that fall off of the <laughs> sure, absolutely. Because that's what it is. When our, what we're talking about is these post oak savanna, and then it's just un, you know, lack of fire, overgrazing, whatever. It's just solid yopon. But that's a method to deal with that we're dealing with now in um in uh in Central Texas, and it is cost effective when you think about what it what it does, you mm -hmm. know, and what you can get. Because you can take an area, you won't have any idea what your place could look like. Oh, absolutely. After that. Uh, you, and you could even look if you have a Facebook. You could go look look Colton up on Facebook and see he he puts a lot of the videos and pictures of of the land he clears. Uh, his name is Colton Shuffield, C O L T O N S H U F F I E L D. Uh, you go look at his name on Facebook and look at a lot of the things that he's cleared up and what we're talking about with this mulching. And it really is. It really does turn it into a, a park. I mean, it looks really nice. And and you got some work to do after that. But but you got less work than what you would have had had you. Uh, you would have never got it down to that uh, chemically to begin with ever. No. Mm -hmm. And so so that brings us to chemical control. Yes. Okay, so chemical control has its place in the world. Sure. Especially with mesquite. Yes, especially with mesquites. Um, you know, so so everybody has a cheap little sprayer. Yes. A little backpack sprayer, a little pump-up hand sprayer, a little ATV sprayer. Um, there's several chemicals. You know, we we have me, Chancey, go eat breakfast every Sunday morning before we record this uh, with some friends of ours, yeah. Matt Goodson. And so so Jason Barton, another yeah. friend of ours, he's we a chemical rep. With him and yeah, sure awesome did. Awesome guy, knows his stuff. He does. He works for uh, Nutrien, uh, which is a 
they sell chemicals and all. We we get a lot of our stuff. Of course, we farm and ranch, so we get a lot of our stuff through him and, and here at the store. And so, you know, we got to talk. Actually, just happened. I said, man, I'm glad we ran into you this morning yeah. because, uh, you know, we have some questions here to ask you about chemical control of, of, of mesquites and yopon and that type of thing. And believe it or not, there's a you've got your old school chemicals like Remedy's the first one. Yeah, it's been around tri- triclopyr based stuff. You know, it, Remedy's an old tried and true. You know, and you know workhorse, I guess. I, I in chemicals. In my opinion, chemical companies do a really bad job of advertising to people who are not in agriculture. And uh, you know, you you buy a ten acre lot or something like that, you don't get the 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 Southern Farming magazines. You don't yes. listen to the to, to RFD TV and so these people they they come in and they you know have no clue about a chemical control still the old name tried and true is is of course remedy mm-hmm. remedy ultra people come in do you have remedy and we're like yeah we do but we've also got Sendero and Sendero's been around for a little while already sure sure they're like well, what is that mm-hmm. you know I mean it, it's just it, it, the the knowledge is not out there as much as you would think now if you grow up in that world well you you know all this stuff already probably. But there's there is there is several chemicals, and according to Jason, there's even a new one coming out this year by Bayer that's supposed to be really good, even better than what we've had before. Of course, you got your tried and true remedy, mm-hmm. and for mesquites, that's typically mixed with diesel. Yeah, that's why he you know suggests you know twenty five percent remedy, seventy five percent diesel. Mm-hmm. You know? uh-huh. So that's so, one gallon of remedy to three gallons of diesel. Yeah. So and that's a basal treatment. You're going to spray that on the trunk of the plant. You're mm-hmm. not going to spray that on the leaves. You know you're going to do the best you can to cover the trunk of it with it. It's absorbed in through the through the through the stem, I guess, and gets into the plant. And you need to do that at the best time of the year. I think he said for doing the the remedy and diesel is anytime. Yeah, anytime with the it, trunk. Yes, it, yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. With the with that treatment, so it's not a small window. You know, you could you could spray it any time that you are. I, I have one landowner that I lease property from for cattle. He'll go out there and his method. Of course, everybody has. The way they believe it should be done. Sure, and the, uh, all of them probably work. Probably work. It, he goes yeah. out there with I a do. grubbing hoe and he chops a little mesquite off close to the ground and yeah. soaks a little stump with with remedy, remedy. In, and it's they never that, come they back. They can do that in the winter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, especially if they've never been manipulated, y'all. Yes, yes, that's not a bl- not one that's been shredded off or yeah. or whatnot. Yeah, and you can kill them young too, like single mesquites, you know, that are just coming up there, you know, or. That aren't terribly old. The kicker is when they've been manipulated. Like we said, if they've been top killed before, that's when the, that's when chemical can still get them. But it might be a little harder to kill them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sure it will because mm-hmm. of the above the ground mass biomass. Yeah. There's just yeah. not that much, not then not much that much surface area up there to put chemical on in order to get it down into the plant. Yes. Yeah, and so so like Chancy said, this chemical control is good for like a. A mesquite that's been growing straight up in the air for several years, you know, I mean, or little young mesquites, they'll knock them down pretty quick. And these chemical controls that we're talking about, remedies, remedy, it's not very selective to mesquites, right? No, yeah, it'll it's not. it'll take remedy out some t- off-target species. Tr- remedies, triclopyr base, and that's a woody plant killer, y'all. I mean, just about all your woody plant stuff has some type of triclopyr in it, and uh, whether it be garlon or you name it, it'll take out the yopon too. Yes, it What sure did you will. say a while ago? What is the it's rate like on that? It's like 5% Remedy Ultra, I believe, is what the state In water. I think it's water. It may be diesel. I'll check on that. Let me just check on that and make sure. But for some reason, I was thinking it was just water. I think it was diesel was just the... Just the uh, some people... The, okay, so... Just, but just the... 
uh, mesquite. Some people will like will will spray remedy out with their like pasture sprayers. I've seen this before, and uh, and of course I don't know if it's labeled for it or not. But you know, we're we're owning this feed store that we have. People come in all the time, and 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 the people who've been doing it for a long time, they have ways of doing stuff, and 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 they're setting their ways, and that's sure. fine because they work. I guess for what they do, you know. So we we have people who who will put remedy in like weed killer basically, and go out and spray their pastures and stuff with it when the mesquites are so thick. I'm sorry about that. I misspoke. It is diesel. Yeah, it is diesel. But what is the it's rate? It's the same, 25% diesel and uh, 75% for the stem spray for, for Yopon. Yeah. 25, so yeah, it's one to a, three. Yeah, same thing on the Yopon. Yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. so you so basically say, basically you yep. can take this and it'll get rid of your of your uh, uh, mesquites and your Yopon that way. And maybe even poison ivy? Well, with Remedy? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think Remedy takes out a lot of your woody plants and vines. I think it does. It really I'll, does. Yeah, it takes out a lot. Like a your lot briars? Of, yeah, it really does. I think they probably have some other chemicals, you know, that are specific to pastures. Like if you had a bunch of green briars, and that's a, probably a question we should ask Jason, like what do they recommend for woody pastures, you know, when you got this encroachment coming in. But I'm sure a lot of them is triclopyr-based or something, or there's some active ingredient there, that, which is a type of, you know, Triclopyr is the active ingredient remedy. Sure, it's so just a, a trade name. Yes, yeah, just remedy. a trade name. So, you know, any of those things, like I said, there, I'm sure that there's even probably some restricted use chemicals that are specific, and I mean they get the job done, definitely. But from an all-around thing that, you know, you can go to your local feed store, camera farm, and ranch. No, no license No needed. license. You can buy it on the shelf. It's safe to use. You know, you're, you know, remedy is hard to beat, and so is that Sendero that we talked about. Okay, so we're about to talk about Sendero. Yeah, because remedy is not as selective. Where Sendero has a select, it's a little. It can be more selective. It li- it'll take out the legumes, y'all. And see, and so Sendero has a has a label for spraying on through the air with like a like a airplane or mm-hmm. or some people use helicopters. It. Yes, helicopters and so, in South Texas. Dang, if people aren't starting to spray these things with drones. That's what he said today, which yeah, blew my mind. I, I did not know. He said you got to get online and Google YouTube yes, that. And I'm and, going to. And I mean, this isn't like like futuristic stuff. Apparently, there's a gentleman here in Cameron, Texas, that does it, and they're getting ready to go do a property this week where they're going to go spray 30 acres of solid mesquite with this drone yeah and and he said you'd map out your area the the drone knows the the borders of the field yeah goes up there and gets it done and you it comes in you reload it and it goes back out there and goes to work again wow i mean think about that that is that's so cool i can't wait to and sendero is a good chemical to do something like that because it it's not as a it's not as harsh on off off target species yeah like, like your, your oaks, oaks and, and your elm trees pecans. Elms. yeah yeah if at the right rate and done the right way yes. you could spray over a, a whole pasture and it won't it won't ding your your oaks and your your off target trees but yes. it'll take out these legumes yeah and the weeds in your pasture yes it's also the yeah. weight and they recommend one percent to just mix sendero with water and um uh, and the more foliage that you have on the mesquite plant the better the time is to spray it yes because the senderos like and Y'all, if you read the label on these chemicals, like even Remedy, there's a thousand different ways to cut stump method, the stem spray, you know. So read the label, but on the label, Sendero, you're killing it differently with Sendero. Sendero, you need it on the leaves, whereas Remedy, it needs to be on the bark. On the bark. And, yeah, trying to get in the can. So the leaves need to be full and all open and, and you need really well. it needs to be a manageable uh, uh, tree size that you could get over the top of. Yes. You know, you're not going to, Sendero's probably not your ideal chemical if you're going to do it by hand and you've got some, some six, eight foot tall trees yeah that's gonna be difficult that's gonna be a remedy 
deal there probably probably so the method like but you know they have sendero on their label they've got it for like you say you've got small mesquites you know you can individual plant treatment ipt it sure one percent sendero you know so if you can get it but you want the leaves there you're spraying the leaves because that's how sendero kills it takes the poison from the leaves it's on the leaves and it brings it down through the plant to the, kill it. And the more leaves you got, the better the better it's going to work. Yes, the more leaves. Yeah, yeah. and it'll it'll take it'll 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 move that chemical from the from the the above ground part of the tree down to the roots. And so this is every other year treatment. Yeah, there's uh, a residual to it. Jason said they've actually done done studies on this where you spray it this year, next year. They may shoot some new leaves out, but them leaves look really rough due to the fact that this Sendero chemical is still inside the inside the plant and still working mm-hmm. a year later. So it, it's not something you go spray every year. It's every other year kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, and you want to get it on just about every leaf on there because I've used this personally. Mm-hmm. If you miss a branch, you know, it that branch stays green for that year. Now, it, the chemical is still moving down through the plant like it should, but, you know— on a, and it did work good, and it, it. I think it took two, you know, a three-year period to do it. Yeah, you know, we had well, to like hit the ones that came a, back. But it's a process, not a project. That's right, that's it nice. is. And and he also mentioned too, like, you know, it'll be perfect time to spray Sendero in another week or two, something like that. A couple of weeks, didn't he say he thought it? Was yes, a he bit said early they'll, they'll be mind. about there, about full, yeah. fully for Central Texas, fully so. leaved and yep. you know ready to be sprayed. Yep. And so, and he also mentioned this other new chemical that Bayer's coming out with that. Evidently, uh, and the rate to that Sendero is going to be a 1% solution. Yes. So 1.28 ounces per gallon of water. Yeah. You can do the math from there, I guess. Low volume, you know. With, with a non-ionic surfactant. And the particular one, there's lots of them by different names, but the one that we carry here is Liberate. And so, uh, you know, that's at a quart per 100 gallons of water. So it doesn't take much of that at all. And that, that basically helps the chemical to get inside the leaves and go to work. Okay, so so again, that's a one percent solution on Sendero. You got to spray it on the leaves, and and mix with some surfactant there. So, uh, th- what was again the name of that last chemical that he said they just came out with? Yeah, well, he said they just got it registered, and I'm not sure. Yeah, it just passed the EPA. It was called Invora. And he, he was already going to use it this week. Oh, it, that's why he was using the Invora. Yeah, he said he's going to use it on this place with, with this drone. drone. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and he said it supposedly it's supposed to be an excellent. Yeah, it's chemical. restricted use, y'all. But like I said, a lot of these chemicals, some of the better ones that are low volume, are restricted use just because you need to you need to be paying attention and doing you know because they can be pretty potent. But he's, this new Invora is supposed to just really smoke mesquites, evidently. And it doesn't. There's no off target issues here. Well, I guess there is some off target issues depending on the species. But I don't think it hurts your your oaks and your your elms and your your pecan trees. Aerial application is okay for it, too. Okay. Yeah, well, I don't know hardly anything about yeah, it. Yeah, um, it's brand new. We don't know much about it either. But, but again, that may be something that you look into. Well, it's always, yeah, whatever you use, y'all, uh, read the label. Read the label on it and follow the label. Don't think because it says one pint per 25 gallons that, you know, two pints will be better. Yeah, don't. don't no glug method. Yeah, follow yeah. the label and uh, put it out. Use accurate calibrated equipment if you're you know if you're going to broadcast it with like atv or ut with boom you know calibrate it so you know what you're, what you're putting this out. stuff's expensive and, too. yeah and avoid overlap especially if you're putting low vo- volume stuff out you know like these drones probably yeah do. low volume stuff you want to be accurate and not have overlap and everything like that so mm-hmm. yeah, and so it's expensive you know if you can save money on 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 overusing chemicals it's definitely a good idea to do it too mm-hmm 
But if you're out there on your property and you're smaller or whatever, and you're spot spraying with a backpack sprayer on a UTV, you know, those are your two options, you know, uh, your diesel remedy mix um, and your, uh, you know, Sendero for, for leaf spray. And that's one method, you know, that a lot of landowners are doing in their pastures right now. Most of them are on a UTV or a backpack sprayer or something walking around spraying. It's that kids. time of the year. Yeah. 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 And it, it's good to know that you. Be on your mind. It's good to know that you could do the remedy, you know, just about any time in the summer. Yes, even in the winter. And be just fine with it. Yep. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely right. So, Chancey, does that yep. about wrap it up with brush, bud? Yeah, it really does. I do want to m- mention one thing right quick. A good, there is no one chemical fix all mix you know and there's a million different kinds of chemicals with a million different active ingredients and you go to the hardware store the feed store you're like why do you know and you're trying to talk to people but most landowners most landowners always have glyphosate in a form of triclopyr on hand sure remedy or glyphosate you know those two chemicals um so i just wanted to mention real quick like I said, there's no never going to be a one size fix all, but for spraying like well, even like your prickly pear cactus and stuff, there's a there's a restricted chemical. Yeah, tordon, I, ought to mention. I believe. Well, tordon mixed with tordon. I used yeah. to mix tordon with something, but yeah. there's one called surmount. Now. Surmount, yeah, yeah, that's restricted use. It is restricted mm-hmm. use, and we've used it on prickly pear cactus, yeah. and it'll knock it down. Sure. Uh, but but uh, before we leave that topic, I guess I should mention surmount for for like your prickly pear cactus and yeah. and some of your other. Uh, species you know if you're going to make a mixture for your fence lines or something like that yes. that that that'll work for that yeah and so like i said there's a bunch of mixes out there that's specific you know for certain things and very good for like around buildings or fence lines but what i use on my fence line because i always have it on hand like i said and it may not be the best but i have it on hand and i don't have to go buy a bunch more is there's a good mix with just glyphosate and triclopyr that you can mix and spray on fence lines and it would kill because triclopyr is more your woody brush and your plants and then glyphosate's more your weed and grass and a, just a good mixture um of, of those mixed together at the proper rates you know the rate what you use for what, that? I, what i do when i use it as i do the uh the glyphosate at what it One says percent? On, yeah whatever four percent sometimes you know whatever you're trying to kill and then mix it with the triclopyr but the kicker is it forms a precipitate in high doses like in high concentrations if you mix glyphosate Facet with triclopyr, it forms a precipitate, turns to powder, you know, kind of like uric acid. So what you got to do, you got to mix it, right? You got to, like, fill your tank up, like, 75% full of water. Right. Then put your triclopyr in there. First. Then go in there and fill and then add it. But, you know, if you're only doing a two- or three-gallon tank, you know, you just but, – but whatever the rate is, it mix it correctly. And it's, it's economical and it's low risk because triclopyr and glyphosate are fairly safe. They're not restricted. They're fairly safe. They're not – they're – they don't have a residual in the soil, you know, so most people yeah, no have no soil activity. Yeah, most people have them on hand. Like I said, they're not as good as some of those. No license required. No license yet. required to buy it. <laughs> yeah. They're not as, uh, they're a little more economical sometimes. Like I said, they may not do as good a job long term as some of those, like, surmount and stuff would. But it's something that I like to use because most of the time we have it on hand. And it gets your briars and stuff too. Yeah, because I'll spray it on the fence line. It gets your grapevines, grapevines, briars growing on fence lines. It kills your grass, and it and you know it keeps it keeps it dead for a while. So that's something I wanted to mention, just because I think you know as you're mixing spraying you know around the house with glyphosate or around the barn you know everybody has roundup at some point and then you're going to be spraying mesquite you've got those two chemicals on hand so absolutely just be careful mixing them because you don't want it to form that precipitate sure absolutely yeah. and so so that kind of wraps up this episode i yeah. guess 
you know, I mean, there's a million other things we could talk about, but we done kind of gone over time again here today anyway. And so, so, uh, uh, again, you know, those are, those, that's a little bit about mesquites and, you know, different ways of controlling your different kinds of yopon brush and that type of thing. And so yeah, it was good to be back with you guys again today. And I guess weather depending, we don't know where the week will take us this yeah, week. Yeah, no, absolutely. We're going to start harvesting wheat. Uh, we got our, we've been working on getting the combine out all week. So, so, uh, the, the wheat's about ready to start harvest around here, but as soon as me and Chancey get another free shot, we'll be back here to talk to you again. Absolutely. And y'all, I guess just to summarize, remember, I know I've said it before, but just remember brush management's a process. It's not a project. So, you know, be thinking about it all the time and, you know, be patient with it as well. And especially on some of these chemicals, be patient with, because some of them are slow acting. You know, like Jason was telling about the scenario, some of them are slow acting, and so just be patient with them and let them let them do their thing. But yeah, and and don't throw away what chemical you got left over because you're gonna need it again. Yes, sir. Yeah, yes, sir. yeah. You're not gonna knock it all out at one time, uh, and and but but the benefits you know are there. You know, it's worth the time to do it. Sure is. And so we we uh, we appreciate you guys listening today, and and I'm sorry it's been so long, but. But uh, hopefully we'll be back with you again here soon. And and until then, everybody stay well out there and stay safe and and stay cool. Y'all have a great week. Bye-bye.